0: The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com.
1: Welcome back, my good doctor friend, John Wettstein. And uh, he is our resident expert on things I know nothing about. Uh, Three little letters. Who knew they would be so complicated, but yet so simple. Um, John has uh, been with us uh, over the, probably the last uh, third, three or four times, I think, uh, kind of helping us to understand actually the science of DNA and how DNA works and functions. And um, I'm not going to give you a review of everything we've talked about. You can talk to him later. But um, John, I wanted to uh, see if you could explain to us, basically, uh, tonight we're going to be talking a lot about uh, uh, the aspect of community and what community means and uh, how we have a healthy uh, community uh, here and uh, help us understand certainly DNA in the context of community but um, how do we get from DNA
0: uh, to us? How does it work? All right. So um, in five minutes or less. Got gotcha. Explain the whole thing. <laughs> We're going to go from the sugar all the way to us. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so previously I kind of just outlined what exactly DNA is. It's basically a, su- a set of sugars. There are four of them. They basically make up everything that's living I'm breathing on this planet. Um, it's the combination of those things that result in us today. And so it's how it's interpreted and how it's understood. So DNA is like a template, okay? So DNA uh, kind of have a picture up there of a cartoon cell inside. You have a nucleus inside that. You have your DNA, and that's what it looks like, little Xs. Uh, they're called chromosomes. So DNA is kind of like how the Bible is. It kind of serves as a template for all foundation, everything to be built off of. All the language that's needs to be understood is written there it's how it's interpreted. So then there's the next step from the DNA. DNA is then transcribed. Through a set of relationships or interactions of proteins, you get this transcript. Much like how we transcribe and relate information through notes and letters and text, that's exactly what it is. It's transcribed. That transcribed material is then translated. And these terms, by the way, transcribed and translated are scientific terms. They're not just there to make it relate more to today. But the truth of the matter is that the transcript itself is translated. The translated product is a protein. You can kind of think of those as your transcribed interactions or how you would transcribe or relate to other people. The the outcome is action. It's what the consequence is. So a protein is the consequence of the template, the consequence of the information that's written. So what you end up with is this protein. Now the important thing about these proteins are they are the fundamental things that make us up. They're the, out, the product out of the DNA, okay? So let's take, uh, for example, if you read scripture and then it's how you interpret it and then how you translate it into your interactions with your friends. So the next, the next picture kind of shows something. I have this here to kind of highlight the complexity of how this all works. I don't expect you to kind of understand all the details or what an SP1 means or anything like that. The point is there's a lot of fundamental interactions between proteins, which are indicated by the little circles and fears that are next to each other. And as you can see, there are a lot of simple interactions that are required to generate a transcript. And that transcript then goes on to be translated, and it's that message that's translated that will result in the viability of the cell or the development of an organism. And so let me kind of you know give you some examples of how this would relate to your real life or how you can break this down. So it's kind of like an analogy to real life in the sense that it requires a lot of interactions to get a fundamental life. So, for example, you have Christ's disciples who help kind of guide and tell people where to go. You have a pastor and elder team who are supposed to provide guidance to the community that needs them. And then on top of that, you have a church congregation. They provide those networks or those interactions to keep everybody on track. So now one could ask, what happens when things go awry? Things happen in people's lives. People make choices. Things happen. As we talked about before, there's sin or there's something that happens. Just like that, with DNA or with proteins, there's damage, things that happen, intrinsic and extrinsic factors that you can and can't control. So the next slide kind of depicts this. So, for example, some of these proteins are often mutated or, or altered in development or in the case of cancer. And what ends up happening is if you alter or break down those interactions, those viable networks that are required just at a protein level so that the DNA itself can be transcribed into information and then translated into action, it can result in things like that you see at the bottom, breaks in DNA, something that may not be repairable and in turn, as you can see on the far right, development of a tumor, for example, in a mouse or in a human being. So it's that relationship of those interactions that are essential for that template to be carried out. So what you can see here is, you know, what about bad interactions? You know, what what happens if that environment's disturbed? Is there any, Is there any hope, okay? And it's kind of interesting, because if you look at the cell and you kind of compare it to what your interactions are with people on a daily basis, the answer is yes. So the next slide kind of animates how this actually works. So here's a chromosome, and it shows how the DNA is being unraveled. And the thing about it is what's amazing are those proteins that are result of that template, that result from that text that's written in your DNA, are things that are very important in both protecting, detecting and repairing damage at the DNA level. There are three main features of that that are there and what you see here is a picture of proteins that are involved in repair. They're actually bound to the DNA and fixing them and then up in the top right, is actually another, not a cartoon example, but a real example from Friday night in my lab, basically showing you that proteins that are very important for repairing DNA, they're actually bound physically to those DNA. They set up the environment, they protect it. So what you see in that picture, the pink is actually a physical protein that's required for keeping your DNA intact. So one may think about this in the context of how does, you know, biology or how does this information relate? Well, it's simple. You have a text, you have a template, much like the Bible. You have your life groups, for example, which as you know, your kind of protectors and guiders, and they kind of help you survey. They're also the ones that can help you go back and repair. You also have your fellow Christians, whether it be in your life group or outside your life group. So the whole point is these fundamental principles that hold true inside the DNA that are then read out and then play itself out in the cell are the exact same thing that you live on a day-to-day basis when you walk around amongst your colleagues or your friends or your fellow Christians.
1: Hmm. That's cool.
0: And then one last thing. Yeah, yeah. The last part at the bottom is something that I want to pose to everybody is this. What you know? Can you imagine if life and those relationships were built off of, for example, breaks, damage, and you didn't have a, something there to help guide you back into place?
1: Cool. Thanks, John. Uh, If you're thinking, wow, Uh. (laughs) Uh, John obviously uh, has an incredible uh, heart and mind and understanding for uh, things in the science, uh, but he also has an incredible heart and mind, uh, even more so uh, for God and his uh, relationship with God. So he has really uh, enjoyed uh, being able to connect with you guys afterwards, especially for those of you who come maybe from uh, an actual scientific event and have just always been confused of science and faith, and do they work, do they not work, and uh, John would be, um, uh, I know he would really enjoy connecting with you to uh, talk some more, a little bit, not just about the DNA and how we get from DNA to us, uh, but how uh, build a bridge uh, between the intricate design that God has woven into our bodies and... um, uh, and who we're becoming, who He's calling us to be. So, John, thanks for sharing with us, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, uh, we are uh, working our way through uh, our series called DNA, and uh, for the past four weeks, we have focused on uh, the question of who am I? Uh, who are you? And uh, ultimately, what it means to be human, uh, we've answered that question, is found, discovered in uh, these two words, Imago day. Uh, made, created, fashioned, formed in the very image of God. Um, What it means to be human is that we bear our Creator's image um, in the world that we live. So uh, we've taken a look at uh, uh, something called sin and how sin mars that image of God, but because of Jesus Christ, uh, He is redeemed and He is reconciled and He is restoring Imago Dei um, in us. Uh, and in the last two weeks, we've uh, taken a look very specifically at uh, the mind and the heart and how we can use our mind and our heart, really all of who we are, to express to God uh, how much we love Him. Uh, tonight, we're going to switch gears now from uh, asking the question of who are we, uh, to, or who am I, to more of the community question of who are we uh, as a uh, community. Um, one of the things that um, has been... Uh, I've been... In the church, I was one of those guys who grew up this better part of his life in the church, and uh, I've seen uh, uh, the beautiful side of uh, a church and how it operates and how it should operate, uh, but I've also seen the dark side of life behind the black curtain, so to speak. Um, but one of the things that I 'm ultimately uh, convinced of and committed to um, is the need for community, uh, the need for relationships. Uh, we were created for uh, community created, four relationships, first and foremost, uh, with God, and then first uh, and secondly, uh, with uh, one another. And the reality, uh, as I've been thinking about this, is that we ultimately discover who we are in the context of community. So our identity is found in community, not in solitude. Uh, we are not autonomous people. We are not meant to live alone and be alone and be by ourselves. Uh, There's a great African proverb that says this, a person is a person through persons. A person is a person through persons. So if you want to discover ultimately who you are, uh, it's discovered in the context of community, in the context of relationships. I don't know if you guys saw this movie. Uh, It was called uh, Into the Wild. I think it came out a few years ago. Um, And it was really a phenomenal story of one man's journey. He's Hart's desire was to land in uh, Alaska one day uh, and live in the wild. He didn't know what he was going to do once he got there, but he wanted to get there. Uh, And one of the things in his journey that he wanted to prove the world wrong is that he did not need community. He did not need relationships. And this is one of the quotes of uh, something he said as he was saying goodbye to somebody. I will miss you too, but you are wrong if you think that the joy of life comes principally from the joy of human relationships. You are principally uh, wrong if you think from, um, let me read that again, but you are wrong if you think that the joy of life comes principally from the joy of human relationships. God's place is all around us. It is in everything and in anything we can experience. People just need to change the way they look at things. That's what he said at the beginning of his journey. And as he went further and further and further along into solitude, uh, and ultimately, uh, one of the things that was written in his journal, uh, the last journal entry, uh, before he died and before uh, it took about three weeks for him, anyone to even come across and discover his body, uh, these were the words that he penned in his journal uh, Happiness only real when shared. Chris McCandles said that. Happiness only real when shared. The man who set out to prove that you didn't need community, you did not need relationships, got to the, literally the end of his life, and in his last words, just basically said, it doesn't mean much if I don't have someone uh, to share this with. We were created for community. We were created for relationships. One of the things that um, uh, I love about God is that uh, we were, um, another way to, I guess, think about this is... Um, the first time that God says that something is not good is when man was alone. God had declared so many things to be good, but the very first thing that Scripture records that God says this is not good is when man was alone. That's in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 18. And so when we go back to the very point of creation where we were created, we discover a very important truth, and it's this. We were created by community for community. Let me say that again so you're not confused. We were created by community for community. Genesis one twenty six says it this. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. God is not absent of relationship. We understand God in a Trinitarian sense, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And all three were present uh, when you and I were formed and fashioned into His image. We were created by community, the community of God. One God expressed in three persons, and we were created for uh, community. So our desire, it's not odd to me that uh, we have an incredible desire to be connected, an incredible desire to be in community. Now I didn't even take the time to look at how many online communities there are, uh, but obviously you've got big ones like uh, MySpace or I think it's called Zanga. Anyone on Zanga? All right, a few of you. Uh, I guess it's not as popular these days. Uh, I mean the the list of online communities is uh, just enormous and my personal favorite. Uh, is Facebook, and I didn't check today, but I think I'm up to like 300 and something. I'm just getting so popular. Um, But it's not real community, is it? It gives people these online communities. It's showing, expressing a desire to be in community, to be in relationship, but it's really false relationships. I look at Facebook, and most people, including myself, are more interested in collecting friends than being friends. I mean, I look at some people's Facebook pages, and they have like a thousand. I'm like, come on. You're not that popular. Because um, I know you, and I know you're not that popular. No. You know, we, um, we love it. Um, you know, we, we love friends at a distance, but we don't want to experience or take the risk of that relationship up close. We love it when people write on our wall, leave us a comment. That is awesome. But when it comes to someone and inviting them into the story of your life and having them leave their signature on your life, we don't do it. So these online communities, uh, albeit they're fun and um, all of that kind of thing, uh, they create a, a very false sense of community, a false sense of relationship. But it does one thing. It points to uh, a great need that humanity has, and it's the need to connect. It's the need to be uh, in relationship uh, with one another. You know, people um, searching for community in these different places, uh, but I wonder why so many people struggle with loneliness. So many people utterly feel alone uh, and repeated feelings of alone and alone, and I'm alone, I'm alone leads that person just to say, I am a lonely person. I have no one that I can connect with. It's amazing we can be surrounded by people yet still feel utterly alone, where no one knows me, no one cares for me, no one loves me. It's funny, you would think in even crowds like we gather in uh, tonight, uh, and we call it community, but uh, being in a crowd can actually perpetuate aloneness uh, instead of curing it. Because you can even come to a group like this, a community like this, and be surrounded by a hundred some odd people and still feel utterly alone, that people don't know you. I wanted you to to know this, that um, aloneness is not the will of God. You were not created to be alone. I guess if you hear something tonight, cling on to that one. You were not created to be alone. And the more people I connect with, the more people I meet with, uh, I hear a a similar song that's being sung. I just feel so alone. You were created to be in relationship with God. You were created to be in relationship with humanity, with a community, with a tribe. I have a question. I'm going to need your feedback here on this one. If you were given uh, the opportunity to create a community... Uh, you're in charge. It's your deal. Uh, What would that community look like? What would be some of the characteristics of that community? What would be some of the things? Remember, you're the creator, the architect, the designer. You're forming this thing. So what would be some things that if it was your community that you're shaping and forming that would be absolutely central, that this would be there, this would be present? What would be some of those things? Shout them out to me. Okay, authentic, Authentic. compassion, someone say gracious, okay, laughter, listen, okay, couple more sharing Sharing? okay welcoming understanding Understanding. did someone say in motion okay movement not a stagnant community i'm guessing that's what that means someone said something over here Love. love How about three more? (laughs) No, you know, I'm glad you said that because I don't want to assume uh, that God would be part of the community because sometimes uh, in churches we assume that it is about God and ultimately it's not. Uh, So I appreciate you saying that. That would be a community um, that would be centered, fixed uh, upon God. Purpose? Who's got the last one? All right. I'm not sure how I'd feel about signing up for that community. (laughs) Personal space underneath hugs. Authentic, compassionate, gracious, laughter, uh, a community that would actually listen, forgiveness, sharing, welcoming, uh, understanding. Uh, a community that is not stagnant but moves, a community that loves, a community that has purpose, a community that uh, is affectionate. We'll put affectionate there. Uh, and ultimately, uh, you guys, one person mentioned uh, a community uh, that would be uh, about God. Do you know of any communities like that? You know, obviously, uh, in my heart, I would love for you to be like all hundred. And be like, Genesis, of course. But in all reality, I wouldn't be uh, so arrogant to think that uh, we are all of those things. But as I think about the community that you guys just described, ultimately, the people who make up the community are responsible for what the community values, the ethos of that community. To be tribal ultimately just means uh, the characteristics of what that tribe values. Those are some great adjectives, descriptors of what you guys just described as what would be uh, a community. Um, let me, I guess, reverse the question of what would you say is the common, and we won't write as many because the list will probably be even longer, um, what is the current At least uh, in your world, in the environment you're part of, what is the current, um, um, what do people have to say about church, the church community? You know, I've already got words like authentic, compassionate, gracious, laughter, listen, but how would the culture that you guys live in, that we all live in, we're part of, how would they describe the church community? Give me. Brainwashed? All right, whoa, slow down. You guys were paced before as like authentic. Genuine. (laughs) All I heard was brainwashed and cult. Okay. I am so glad that I actually know who Ned Flanders is. I just (laughs) wanted to say I'm thankful for that. I'm getting behind you a little bit, so what were some of the other ones? Judgmental, okay. What is it? Fake? Fake? Closed-minded? Okay. Arrogant? Arrogant. How about one more? Stagnant and ignorant. Is that what someone said? Irrelevant. Irrelevant. That's just another way of saying we don't connect. We live in a world that we ultimately don't connect. We speak a very different language. We think very differently, and uh, we don't connect. I kind of figured that would happen. What you guys have described as what you would desire. If you're the architect, what you would create is so different than what the culture has to actually uh, observe, how they have actually observed who a community is, and I'm to be honest with you, I'm not actually sure how we have gotten so far away from the things that we desire most. These are things you said that you're creating something you desire: compassion, grace, laughter, forgiveness, and uh, understanding and love. But yet we're viewed as brainwashed, cultish, hypocritical, uh, greedy, old-fashioned, fake, close-minded, arrogant, stagnant, ignorant, irrelevant. And I'm sure the list could go on and on. Well, I don't know about you, but um, that uh, saddens my heart. And who ultimately cares about my heart? I think it saddens God's heart. I want you to know, church was God's idea, not man's. Man did not create the church. Uh, God created the church, and he used uh, some very um, uh, interesting uh, language to describe the church, which I'll share with you. But as i listening to uh, how you guys have described um, what you desire, but how far disconnected we are from, from that, um, I hope that it would be your desire, that it would be your dream, that we would have the former type of community you described, not the latter. And that we as a Genesis community here uh, would fight really hard to make that a reality and so tonight as we um, look at some scriptures together of uh, ultimately what does God have to say about what a community should look like and uh, just so you know it's, it's all really close to the first list we made I'm not interested per se in what uh, man has to say about community but ultimately what does God have to say and how does he desire uh, the community uh, to look like um I really love the church. I really do. Uh, She can be pretty messed up and pretty flawed, uh, but nonetheless, I still love her. And why I love her is because God loves her. And as best as I possibly can, I want to love the very things that God loves. So it would be easy for me to grow very jaded towards a community that is judgmental, hypocritical, uh, greedy, just selfish, self-centered, absorbed with the me, and just say, forget it. I don't feel like fighting for that thing, but I cannot walk away. I've made a decision and encourage you to make the same decision, to set your heart, set your affections on the very things that God has set his heart and his affections on. Ephesians 5.25 says this, and it's a commandment that is given to husbands. You, if you've been to a wedding, you probably hear this used a lot. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In Scripture, uh, uh, God uses the language of the church as the bride. I love, uh, I don't do this all the time, but I love introducing people, uh, introducing my wife to people as this is my bride for the past uh, 11 years or so. It's just my cute little way of just saying, I love that she is married to me. I'm proud of her, and I'm proud for people to know that she's my bride. She's not your bride. She's my bride. She's with me. And I see when God speaks of his church that he designed, created, and is still creating and forming, he uses such language that says, I love this church. I love the community. Remember, created for community, with God and with uh, one another. And I wanted you, before I get too far off, uh, you're not in church right now, okay? The church is not a building. It's not like bricks and mortar. The church is the people of God. So theologically speaking, when you say, I'm going to church tonight, no, you're not. You're going to a gathering where the people of God are gathering for a time of worship, capital W, which is singing and uh, worship through word. So when you think of the church please break free in in your mind from this idea that uh, you're sitting in a church because the thought is if you carry that out is you leave church and you're called to be the church. Three words um, that Genesis has um, if we sum up our mission what we are about we kind of summarized them in three key words of begin, belong and believe. And the one that really speaks of um, uh, belong, uh, that's what's speaking to community. And uh, as I, over the past two years, have been um, uh, really wanting to form a community that would be healthy and dynamic and authentic, all of these things that you guys have just described. Um, One of the things that I uh, question myself on a lot, because I want to invite every single person that's sitting in this room to belong to a community uh, specifically Genesis, that you would be co- truly connected, engaged, that you would invest in this community and allow this community to invest in you. And so if one of our key words is belong, I often ask myself, in what, uh, or is what I'm asking, inviting people to belong to, ultimately, is it a healthy thing? Because shame on us if we're inviting people, you and people from the culture, to belong to something that ultimately is destructive, why on earth would we want to invite people, hey, come be part of our community. We're a bunch of greedy, hypocrite. It's kind of a cult. It might be cool. I mean, why would we want to invite people to belong to something like that? And so tonight, um, I just want to look at uh, really just a few verses and answering the question, what does a healthy community look like? Again, not from my perspective, not from man's perspective, not from humanity's perspective, But from God's perspective, if uh, you have a Bible, we're going to put it up on the screen. But if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip open to Luke chapter 10. If uh, you don't have a Bible, uh, I would love to give you one. And they're on the back table. Uh, It's a Bible that looks like this. It's our gift to you. So if you need one, please take one. They're yours. And uh, this is uh, Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Someone has asked him, basically, uh, what must I do to inherit life? In the other Gospels, it was asked, if I'm going to give myself to something, if I'm going to do one thing in the Scripture, in the Old Testament of 613 commandments, what should I do? And this was Jesus' answer to this question. He answered in verse 27, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself." We spent uh, the last couple weeks looking at what it means to love God uh, with our hearts uh, and with our minds. Uh, and tonight, um, in answering the question, what does a healthy, dynamic community look like? Something that God says, this is a community um, that uh, I'm pleased with. Love God with all of your heart's, soul, strength, and mind. And then it says, love your neighbor. And I love that Jesus did not answer the question, love God with absolutely everything that you have and then tolerate your neighbor. Because that's what we do, if we're honest. We tolerate people. We put up with them. Why? Because people are, are a great inconvenience. They hurt us, they get in our way, they offend us. And so we, at best, we just put on a fake smile and that's it. But I cannot get around the commandment that says, Love God with all of who you are, the core, your essence, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Notice there's no commandment to love yourself because God knew we'd have that one. <laughs> we wouldn't struggle with that one. But we would struggle with loving our neighbor. And so, how I'm answering this question of what does a healthy community ultimately look like? It's a community that loves. It's a community that loves your neighbor. And so an obvious question that you might be thinking, um, because the guy who asked Jesus the question said, well, I'm a bit confused. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus goes on to tell this man a story. Uh, You guys know the story, um, as maybe you've heard of it before, as the Good Samaritan. Uh, There's actually laws in our country now, the, the Samaritan law. And Jesus wants to answer this guy's question of, who is your neighbor? Let me tell you a story. And in this story, there's a guy who got robbed and mugged and beat up and left for dead. And there were some religious people who walked by and did absolutely nothing to help this guy. They ignored him. Literally just walked on by and left him for dead. But then there was another individual, a Samaritan. Uh, who came to this gentleman's aid. And I pick up the story in verse 33 of chapter 10. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. That's another way of saying had compassion. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, Jesus is talking now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What I love is Jesus doesn't point out the man who says, well, that's your neighbor right there, and that's your neighbor right there. He pointed out a man who did something. He loved in action. He pointed to uh, a man's uh, attitude or behavior towards the man who had been left for dead. He asked the question, uh, which of those was the neighbor? Because it wasn't the two religious dudes who walked by, ignored him. It was the guy who had compassion, had mercy, pity on the individual and went the extra mile to care for this individual. So who is your neighbor? Well, it's the one, it's the individual who loves the least likely, the one that you'd typically walk by without even acknowledging their existence. The neighbor is the one who loves the one you think you'd never have anything in common with. The neighbor is loving the one that's really difficult to love because you can't see beyond how they look and act and think, and they're just so different. The neighbor is the one who says, I'm going to love them regardless. The neighbor is the one who ultimately loves everybody. The church, uh, as you guys just went through the list, you did this for me, is accused of a lot of things. We're branded as a a lot of different labels are put on us. I don't know about you, but I would love to change the culture of the community called the church, where if we're going to be accused of something, Why can't we be accused of loving people too much? Why can't we be accused of forgiving people too much, being too compassionate, too kind, too caring, too generous? Why can't we ever be accused of those people just love like crazy? They serve, and they serve, and they serve. When will the day come where someone will accuse the church of that is a community, that is a people, that is a tribe of individuals who love. They just love way too much. I long for that to be a reality in this community. Romans 12, this is going to be a lot of verses, but this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to the church. Remember, the church is the people of God. People have made the decision to say, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. This is who Paul is talking to, in verse, um, starting at verse 9. I'm going to read a lot of text. I think it might be on the screen. But if it's helpful to you, just close your eyes and listen to who the church, who this community, what we are called to be, what we are called to do. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That would take me six weeks to unpack everything in those 10 to 15 verses. But the one command that is just unites them all church, would you love? Would you be a people, a community, a tribe that would love and not just be in love with yourself, but that you would love other people, that you would take the commandment seriously where it says, love God and then love your neighbor? How does a community live out the challenge that I just gave? uh, In Luke chapter 10 as well as in Romans chapter 12. I was listening to um, another pastor, he uh, was speaking at a conference, and there was a Q&A after the conference was over, and uh, he's a pastor of a megachurch, which means uh, mega is a uh, couple thousand people make up that church community. And someone in the uh, crowd asked him the question, um, how do you protect your church from becoming a, a megachurch? And implied in the question was a derogatory term that megachurches are just a waste of space. And uh, it's a negative thing for the church to grow or to have thousands upon thousands of people. And so it was a brilliant response. He asked this individual, uh, it's always good to answer a question with a question. That usually stumps people. Jesus did it all the time. So if you're ever confused and just don't know what to say, ask a question. Um, And so this pastor asked this question and just said, well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, the one campaign, Have you ever thought, you know, I hope they don't get too big. I hope they don't collect too much money to help uh, the impoverished and those who have AIDS in Africa. Or how about the Red Campaign? Or how about Greenpeace? Pick your organization. Have you ever thought to yourself, I hope they don't get too big? And the individual's like, no, I, I, I celebrate that those campaigns, those communities are trying to actually do, you know, what they're doing. And he said, well, one of your problems is that you have, you've, you've stopped thinking that the churches can actually make a valuable contribution to culture. You see the one campaign, the red campaign, Greenpeace, whatever organization you want to pick is actually doing something beneficial for this world. But the church, the bigger it gets, ultimately it's going to cause more problems. And then he said something very interesting. And he was, looked at this individual and just said, ultimately people who ask the question, how can we prevent the church from getting bigger and bigger and bigger? What's at the core of that question is, if this church, this community gets any bigger, my needs will not get met. We don't want the church to grow. We don't want the community to grow because ultimately the community is about you. It's about me. And if it gets any bigger than this, what we currently have, We are in jeopardy, in danger of your needs not getting met. I didn't see the uh, facial reaction or response of this individual, but I know as I was listening to it, it really floored me. Because a lot of my years of growing up in the community called the church, the people of God, it's always been about me. How do I get my needs met? It's been a very me centric, me focused church. And I am so desperate to break away from a church that is ultimately about us. I am excited about being part of a community that would say, it's not about us, it's not about me. It's about loving God and loving our neighbor. How do we break free from the me centric, the I centric community? And the answer, as best as I can give you, is just we have to refuse and reject the notion that you and I are the center of the community. Now, I realize we don't, like, put posters on and wear T-shirts that say, the church is all about me. I don't think anyone uh, probably would do that. But if we think about some of the attitudes or uh, things that we criticize the church mostly for or the community of the church uh, most, if, if not all, of our disappointments with the church is that our needs are not getting met. Most of our frustrations lie in the truth that my needs ultimately are not getting met. And I wanted to offer you a challenge. This week, this coming week, seek to actively love your neighbor and see how many of your needs go unmet. Love like crazy. Give and serve and bless and encourage. And just test me on this. See how many of your needs will go unmet. The Apostle Paul was pretty convinced, and I am pretty convinced, that Jesus said this, and Paul quotes Jesus in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive at the heart of a healthy community are people who constantly are asking the question how can i love my neighbor how can i meet their need if you really want this community that most of you if not all of you consider your home start asking that question how can i love more how can i meet the needs of the individual that is sitting right next to me I really believe that when Jesus said this, it's more blessed uh, to give than to receive. There was something in that. That those who are bent on loving and taking care of the other, their needs will be met. The more they give, the more they will receive. The more they love, the more God's love will continue to flow through them so that they can continue to love and serve in compassion and generosity. Please test me in this: Live just this coming week asking that question. Try to meet the needs of those around you, and see if your needs will not be met as well. I wanted to finish just with this, of asking a, a question because I don't I thought of it, and I'm thinking maybe there might be some other people that are thinking it as well. Is there any benefit uh, to loving like this? Is there really any benefit to being part of a community that says it 's not going to be about us it 's going to be about the other it 's going to be about the neighbor it 's going to be about loving God and loving neighbor. Is there any benefit um, to that for us? And I just I could give you a list of a lot of things, but I wanted to finish with these two things. One of the things I love about um, uh, the things that God has allowed me to do is just a pastor of a community is I get to spend a lot of one-on-one time with people, something I absolutely love. And the more time I spend with people and I hear their stories, sometimes very painful stories, I always walk away with a fresh dose of reality, a fresh perspective. When we love our neighbor, when we love the other, One of the things you'll do is start investing in other people. And when you invest in other people, you get to hear their story. And when you hear someone else's story, whether it's a story of joy or a story of tragedy, it gives you perspective that there is actually a world outside your skin. We can be so self-absorbed, self-consumed, that the world is just falling around right here, That if you just get yourself around other people and love the neighbor, it gives you a fresh perspective. It doesn't make your problems or issues insignificant. It just gives you perspective. And we don't have perspective until we start loving other people. And the second one that I'll just uh, close with is freedom. When we love, we have, God just blesses us with a perspective of who he is and what he's doing. And then the second thing is freedom. There's a lot of people in the church who are forgiven because God is a God who forgives. But I want you to see if this is true. There are a lot of forgiven people, but there are a lot of people who are broken. A lot of people in the church are forgiven by God, but yet they still live lives where they are utterly broken. James 5, verse 15 and 16 says this. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven, meaning God forgives And then he says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it is effective. There's so much freedom when you realize that you can take off your mask of trying to be perfect. Where you can stop pretending to be something or someone that you're not. And you only have the freedom to do that when you know that you're going to be loved. So many of us are afraid to be who we are, our struggles, and confess sin to one another. Why? Because the second list you gave. They're people who condemn. They're judgmental. They're hypocritical. But if we would be a community that would truly love the other, love one another, we would have so much freedom to stop pretending to stop trying to be perfect. Save yourself from that and save us. Jesus met a woman who was um, being accused of adultery, caught in the act of adultery. People were about ready to kill her, throw huge stones at her head and crush her. And they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what should we do? And Jesus' remarkable answer says, if any one of you, this is John chapter 8, verse 7, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, wrote something on the ground at this. Those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. We are called not to condemn people, but to love people. And if we would have an environment, a culture within this tribe, this community called Genesis, where you knew that you were being loved. Why? Because you were loving. You would have so much freedom to take off the mask and confess, this is who I am. This is where I'm really at. This is my struggle. This is my sin. And you would have no fear of someone pointing their finger in your face and saying, I condemn you, you hypocrite. But you would have in a loving community, people remind you that you are completely forgiven and loved by God. And they would inspire you and they would encourage you and challenge you by loving you to go and live a different life. A life where you refuse sin. Reject sin and embrace all of who God has created you to be, to live up to your God-given potential. If this would be a community that would love, how much freedom would there be in this community for us just to start being who we really are? Jesus uh, said in John chapter 13, Last verse I'll read to you. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Do you want to know what will ultimately set this community apart? What will stand this community about in in our culture is if we would just love. Not be consumed, absorbed with self, but we would learn to love. Love. Lovers of God and lovers of our neighbor. As I've been thinking about this uh, this week, my heart for this community is to say, you know what, let's not make it about us. Let's not make it about us. Let's make it about the other. And I guarantee the needs that we have will be met as we become better lovers of God and better lovers of humanity. And Watch how this community would explode. Because there's nowhere else that you can truly be embraced and loved for who you are and where you are. Mask free, no pretending. We live in a culture based on performance. The more you perform, the more you'll be loved. The less you perform, you don't feel the love. My heart for Genesis, and I hope it would be shared is that this would be a community that is marked by how we love. Please let someone accuse Genesis that we love too much. Next week we're going to talk about mission and what it means to be a community that would ultimately be on mission together. And our mission is so tied in to this very thing of loving God and loving others, loving the neighbor as we love ourselves. I don't know where you guys are tonight in terms of just what God has been speaking to you. I trust that um, he's been saying something to your heart. And I just want you to be quiet just for a few minutes before we'd celebrate communion together and respond to what God has been saying to you. And please, if you're in a place where you're so absorbed with yourself, it's ultimately your life is about you, would you repent of that and say, God, I want my life to be about you and others. Repent of that. Turn from that and say, God, give me a heart. Increase my heart for you and increase my heart for others so that people would begin to accuse me of just loving too much, being too kind, too compassionate, too caring, too forgiving, too generous. Father, please uh, hear the prayers of this church, your church this community, these people. God, let us respond to the things that you have been saying to us tonight. Father, let it be said of this community that we love. We love you, and we love others. We love our neighbor. God, forgive us as a community uh, for times where we have been self-centric, self-absorbed, self-focused. God, I ask just as an entire community that we would repent of that and just say no more. This will no longer be a community that is about us. But it's going to be about the others. God, would you create in each of us such a strong desire to love you and to love our neighbor. And our neighbor, God, as we know, is not just a person sitting right next to us tonight but our neighbor are those that we work with, those that we live with, those in our family, those in the different communities that we are part of. God, just please give us such a burden to love that we would truly be marked by that. And as Jesus said, the world would know that we follow you The way we love. Father God, thank you for your demonstration of love towards each of us, towards humanity, and the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ.
0: Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.